Thank you for choosing Tox News, your only source to the right-wing echo chamber. 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 Uh, we have breaking news today that is being made rounds around, 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 and I'm sure you've heard of it. The guilty verdict of Derek Chauvin, but in case you missed it, here's a brief clip. All right, I understand you have a verdict. Members of the jury, I will now read the verdicts as they will appear in the permanent records of the 4th Judicial District. State of Minnesota, County of Hennepin, District Court, 4th Judicial District, State of Minnesota Plaintiff versus Derek Michael Chauvin, Defendant. Verdict, Count 1, Court File Number 27, CR 20-12646. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to Count 1, unintentional second-degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.44 p.m. Signed, Juror Four-Person, Juror Number 19. Same caption, verdict count two. We, the jury in the above entitled matter as to count two, third degree murder, perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.45 p.m. Signed by jury four person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count three. We, the jury in the above entitled matter as to count three, second degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, Find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.45 p.m. Jury four person 019. Members of the jury, I'm now going to ask you individually if these are your true and correct verdicts. Please respond. Yep, and so it goes. Um, and with that, breaking news just flooded uh, the interwebs everywhere with right-wing takes. And so that's what these segments are going to be today. Uh, forgive me, it may be a bit of a longer ep episode than usual. Uh, we have f the big four. Uh, we're going to begin with Ben Shapiro at the Daily Wire on his take. And then we're going to get Tucker Carlson's, one of his takes. Apparently he has a few already, but we're going to get one. And then we have Sean Hannity uh, with a much longer uh, segment surrounding it, mostly about, uh, you know, the, the, the repercussions or consequences of this verdict. And then we have a bit from uh, Tim Cass, uh, Tim Pool's podcast, I guess, or his uh, live stream show. Um, I'm not going to play the entirety of that because he didn't clip it, but I think at the beginning he gets into it with his guest. So we'll probably just get a little analysis from that and then dip on out. Um, but before I forget, of course, we begin with the POA. I pledge allegiance 
to liberty and justice for all. Thank you again for choosing Talks News, where we now dive in deep into the right-wing perspective, hopefully to come out with a much clearer perspective of how to um, properly react to it and properly maneuver in these um, uncivilized discourse days. So we shall begin now with Ben Shapiro's take. We've just learned the verdict in the Derek Chauvin uh, trial, and we will be coming to you uh, live with as many updates as possible. Right now, the verdict is guilty uh, on all charges. Ben, tell us what it means. So it means that I'm not sure whether the, the sentencing is cumulative, cumulative or whether it is uh, or whether it is they take the top sentence and then everything else falls under that. But uh, because he doesn't have a criminal record, that means he maxes out at 12 and a half years for second degree murder, 12 and a half years for third degree murder, four years or so for the manslaughter charge. Um, the, it was pretty obvious from how fast the jury came back mm -hmm. that it was going to be guilty on all counts. As soon as they said the jury was coming back today, I immediately said to my producers and publicly that it was going to be guilty on all counts because they were never going to acquit on all counts that quickly. If there had been an acquittal, it would have taken a while to get there. Uh, my own prediction was that if there had been any sort of real evidentiary consideration, which I frankly do not think that there probably was in this case, it was a three-week trial, there were 10 hours of consideration, that is wildly disproportionate in a case that has this many conflicting fact patterns, um, that if they came back this fast, uh, it would be a guilty verdict. I thought any jury that looked at this would probably have gone hung jury on the, on the two murder charges uh, and then maybe convicted on the manslaughter charge. Uh, if you were going to get very aggressive, that would have been an aggressive jury. If you're not a yeah, the very funny thing is, is that I actually thought that it was going to turn out in the way that Ben Shapiro uh, was imagining here is that I thought that the defense was going to um, convince them that it was merely an accident um, that Derek Chauvin killed uh, George Floyd and nothing more than just a um, lack of awareness on his well-being. Um, which would lead to the manslaughter charge. But unfortunately, the uh, well, not unfortunately, I don't know why I should say that, but impartially, the, the jury did end up finding Derek Chauvin guilty on all counts of murder from second degree to manslaughter. So I, um, after waking up from a nap and seeing this, uh, was really shockingly surprised um, because I did think that the charges fit for... Derek Chauvin I just didn't think that all of them would stick um but I guess that I had doubted uh the jury more than I probably should have because um it you know when you watch the video of George Floyd it's hard not to see w what went down that day so I am at this current moment I'm very proud of the jurors that decided to um make sure that the you know, they did the best that they could um, in doing the right thing. So um, it, it is interesting, though, that both me and Ben Shapiro had thought it's probably going to be a manslaughter charge. And then uh, both of us were surprised in the actual outcome. He he had the opportunity to notice that they were coming out and that their verdict was on the way. So he got the early indication like, well, that was quick. So they're probably going to find him guilty. Um I, I had no idea it was coming down because um, I was I was taking a nap after eating too much food. How how spoiled and privileged I am to uh, take a nap from a food coma and wake up to a police officer finding finally facing accountability. As a statistic that we've gone over before in this podcast is that ninety eight percent of um, excessive force cases against uh, police officers um, are usually um, not tried in court or found innocent. 
or no wrongdoing. So it's very interesting here that we have this 2% uh, case happening before the entire nation, but it's still, um, there's a lot of circumstances that make this specific case very special in the way that we still, you know, uh, for those who are searching for accountability amongst police officers, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, we're not going to have a massive accountability wave just because Derek Chauvin, who is a pretty obvious murderer, uh, facing accountability. There's uh, other cases of, you know, gray areas and maneuvering with the state that, you know, people who really want to see authority be held accountable. We have a long road ahead of us. This is this isn't uh, this isn't the end all be all to this movement. So, um, yeah. Aggressive jury you would have hung on all three counts. Um, and if it had hung on all three counts, if it hung at all, then the, the judge would have instructed them to keep going back in the jury room, trying to beat it out, because the fact is that you need a unanimous verdict for either acquittal or for conviction uh, in in Minnesota. The fact that it was unanimous that quickly meant pretty clearly that it was going to be conviction on all charges uh, coming out. You know, we'll have to see whether people who had, you know, spent their nights planning for rioting and looting now <laughs> actually go home or whether they go ahead and hit the local target in celebration, presumably, uh, of, of the verdict. Um, but I think one thing is pretty clear for anybody who watched this. I mean, I get that Ben Shapiro doesn't like the protesters or the rioting, but the, this this way of belittling um the moment that they have um achieved here is um i don't want to just say gross but it's definitely like a great indicator of ben shapiro's character to belittle people who have been hanging on this case because it has a lot to deal with their community um so i i, I just very i find it very fascinating that he goes in for that low blow right there um with the rioting target joke case closely I don't know how closely you watched it, Drew, or Jeremy. I know, Matt, you watched it really closely. Uh, for people who watched this case closely, there are elements here that it's very difficult to make the case to me that any rational jury would have, who just looked at the evidence would have come to the conclusion that beyond a reasonable doubt, Chauvin was guilty of second or third degree murder. This just did not fulfill the elements. The third degree murder charge particularly... Well, the thing is, though, is that you would have to ignore the expert witnesses to which um, Eric Nelson wanted you to ignore, which, like, one of the ones that I know for sure he wanted to, the jury to truly question their testimony was um, Dr. Martin Tobin, who was the physiologist who had come in. Um, he was one of the... Uh, medical you know experts that he wanted their account dismissed and then there was another one um a woman that they had uh testify the day after dr tobin i can't remember her name um i can't remember if it was peterson or dr thomas i think it was dr thomas um both of theirs basically highlighted the fact that like you know the interaction with the cops was the biggest if not the the only contributing factor to the death of George Floyd the thing is though is that for the defense and those who simply believe the defense had to ignore these testimonies and go off the fact that the uh, substances that George Floyd consumed alongside his pre-existing condition of an enlarged heart these things are what caused George Floyd's death more than the knee on the neck. And so there was a clear line here of where you would go if you were on the jury side, where the reasonable doubt would be there if you believe the defense's line, which they didn't really have much of an expert witness to hold the ground for this, for the toxicology report to be like, the drugs had more to do with this than 
than uh, Derek Chauvin. Um, they didn't have that ground. They they tried to raise reasonable doubt only by reminding the jury and everybody watching that George Floyd was in fact on drugs, regardless of the fact that multiple um, expert witnesses said that there was such a low amount of drugs that it really wouldn't have that much of effect. So um, that's why, like, saying a rational jury would have, you know, been aware of a reasonable doubt here the word rational is doing a lot of work in that sentence in the me in the way that like rational would have to then mean that you just believe what ben shapiro also believes and what a lot of conservatives seem to believe and when they covered this in their segments mainly like steven crowder who did a whole quote-unquote recreation um a disgusting display of um racism and privilege to recreate george floyd's death um they really backpacked on the idea that the drugs and his pre-existing conditions are the factors that killed him, not the knee on the neck. So you would have to go with that narrative, that story, and that belief and ignore testimonies from expert witnesses to reach that uh, rational conclusion, as Ben Shapiro puts it. Um, so it's very unfortunate that... Again, they're ignoring a vast amount of evidence that mainly came from the prosecution's um, cro uh, w uh, witness testimonies when, when they would uh, ask the questions rather than the defense. Um, they're, they're, they're ignoring all of that. They're ignoring all of that context. And I'm still trying to figure out exactly what we're working with here, what the narrative is going to go from here and now. Um, ben Shapiro does seem to be focusing on the fact that, like, you know, uh, they had to find him guilty or the whole country was going to be burned to the ground, which is just yet another way to belittle or, um, you know, kind of kind of talk down the situation of what's truly going on, um, which Ben Shapiro is really good at. He did it with like when GameStop got, you know, uh, shorted and then the retail apps went out of their way to short or I guess invest in GameStop, which forced the hedge fund uh, to you know lose billions of dollars. He came in to belittle that as well and downplay the effect of that. Um, so it's just very interesting that Ben Shapiro, like you know, a conservative's bias is so apparent in these kind of situations where it's very obvious that you have to pick a side. And um, yeah, Ben Shapiro's is just making his very clear, very clear is absurd on its face. The third-degree murder charge never should have been allowed in the courtroom. The third-degree murder charge is, is a charge uh, for what is generally called depraved heart murder. Depraved heart murder is you throw a brick onto a freeway, and you don't have anybody you're explicitly attempting to kill, but you end up killing somebody on the freeway. You shoot a gun into a crowd. That's depraved heart murder. And that was what the third-degree murder charge was. You have to have intent to kill others, right? And then you end up killing one person. Mm. It was counted anyway. It shouldn't have been on the it shouldn't have been on the docket. The second degree murder charge required felony assault that results in the murder. So usually that is where you're robbing a store, you got a gun, the gun accidentally goes off and kills somebody, right? Or, or the guy dies for some other reason while you're in the process of committing some sort of felony. So you had to show that he intended to commit a felony against George Floyd. It's very difficult to say that he intended to commit a felony against George Floyd because Minneapolis Police Department procedure allows you to do exactly what Chauvin was doing under the circumstances, the manslaughter. See, and that's the thing is that th that we have two lines here is that for cops, they're allowed to um, commit a felony if it's justified beneath the authority of the law. Um, so in circumstances where people aren't murdered, you might get assaulted by a police officer, something that would normally be a felony for regular citizens. And that police officer doesn't necessarily find accountability right away. Um, and, you know, that could 
come in the form of uh, sexual assault even. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very interesting here that because we've we've built the the whole system in the game that if you know if a cop's doing something then it has the permission of the state to do so and even if that is equivalent to uh, a felony on the level of an ordinary citizen um, but that's not what applied here in this specific um, case here because even a lot of ex uh, other expert witnesses uh, of police um backgrounds had said that it was excessive force so um you know when he when he then breaks excessive force which is a police department rule then that probably opens that gap for him to uh he's breaking one law there he he broke more by murdering george floyd so one was a little bit easier to make because the charges in that in the manslaughter case yeah, just have to have reckless disregard. So the, the prosecution can make the case that even if he didn't mean to do anything bad, it was reckless for him not to get off of Floyd. Once Floyd was already unconscious and once Floyd was dying, he should have gotten off of him and it was reckless not to get off of him. But the fact that they convicted on all three counts says to me that they weren't really looking at the evidence because, again, all three of those charges also rely on a simple question of causation, right? Did George Floyd actually die because Derek Chauvin was, was on top of him with his knee? What the defense showed repeatedly is that he did not have his knee on his neck, right? There was no physical trauma to his trachea. There was no evidence that there had been physical trauma to his, uh, to... It's very fascinating, though, that um, for conservatives, like, the video now doesn't matter, which the video shows that for nine minutes, uh, Derek Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes. Like, for nine minutes. For nine minutes. You can watch the video and you can see it there. Um, but now the conservative argument is that it wasn't actually on his neck, not because of what the video showed, but simply because there was no trauma. There was no sign of injury, which there wasn't throughout all of um, George Floyd's uh, body. But the thing is, though, even with the autopsy and the medical examinations, they still came to the conclusion of a homicide due to asphyxiation and uh, law enforcement subduel. So. He can he can make this case, but it's on the death certificate. So he he can say that there's no evidence of this, but it's literally on the autopsy and the death certificate. So yet another piece of evidence he's choosing to ignore um, to bolster the defense's case, which that's the entire defense case is to ignore evidence that does not uh, benefit or help them in making their own case. So his arteries that would have cut off the oxygen to the brain. Uh, it, there, there are a couple different types of asphyxia. There's, there's physical asphyxia where you actually strangle somebody. Uh, there's, you deprive somebody of oxygen to the brain by cutting off their blood supply uh, via, their, via their arterial blood flow. Uh, and then there is a chemical asphyxia, which is drug overdose. Uh, and, and the fact is that George Floyd had three times the, the deadly level of fentanyl in his system. He was high as a kite. He had 75% arterial blockage. And again, that three times uh, number is come off the toxicology report, which was debunked in the courtroom. Because if you had watched the courtroom, um, they had said that that's an average. The the eleven nanograms per milliliter is an average amount for a fentanyl user to have in their system, and um, also the the methamphetamine was at such a low rate that it wasn't to be caused as a uh, considered as a factor either. In, in the actual uh, death, and that, that that's the reason why it's not on his death certificate. 
Um, they had it in the other contributing factors um, merely as to say, hey, these were in his system, so it may be contributing. But overall, it was ruled a homicide, death by another human, and those causes were specifically of asphyxiation due to law enforcement subdual. So again, ignoring the one piece of significant evidence that says homicide in in favor of well we know he had drugs in his system so how can we not know that it wouldn't be a drug overdose well they they would know from the autopsy because an asphyxiation from drug overdose has different signs uh in in the body and in the organs than um the a death of lack of oxygen flow from uh somebody sitting on your neck so well, Examiner originally said if I'd found him dead in his room, I would have immediately assumed that it was a drug overdose. And I covered this in the last podcast with Tim Pool. is that obviously they're taking this this uh, quote out of context. She said, yes, if we take all things out of consideration, all the other evidence out, and we found him dead in his home with drugs in his system, then she would assume that it was a drug overdose. But that's with the lack of other evidence. Um, so... You know, and you can honestly say that about anybody with regardless of how much drugs that they actually have in their in their system is that if you just found me dead in my house and you came in and you found, you know, um, a, a, a certain amount of heroin, let's not even say it's an actual lethal dose amount or if it's just a, you know, you know, one nanogram uh, per milliliter, then, you know, you could say that it could be a drug overdose based on many other factors of whether or not I was able to tolerate that much heroin or not. A, a, you know, a, a, a regular heroin user is probably going to be able to take more heroin than I can. Um, and so the threshold for me overdosing on heroin is probably a lot lower. Um, but if you found me heroin alone in my apartment, it's safe to assume that it's probably that. But in this case, that's not what we're looking at. That's that's not the only factor here that we're looking at, and they went over that with the expert witnesses, which, again, they chose to take that one clip out of context, ignore other evidence, and this is how they're proceeding with moving on this narrative, which I find very interesting. There's, like, no real concern of uh, right. coming and to the, the truth. the only reason that this became a national issue is because of the tape, which on its face, when everybody first saw it, looks really ugly, because it turns out that a lot of policing looks really ugly. And then when you get all of the lead up, at the very least, you don't have to say that you love what Chauvin did. You don't have to say that, that Chauvin acted appropriately. You don't have to say any of that stuff. What you do have to say is to not even believe that there's reasonable doubt on the murder charges, on the murder charges, where you'd have to have intent. That suggests to me that this was far less about the actual facts of the case and far more about all of the hubbub surrounding the case. This trial never should have taken place in Minneapolis. It should have immediately been transferred in terms of venue. You were not going to find an impartial jury in Minneapolis in the single most publicized criminal justice case. I always think it's weird, too, to like think that jurors need to be absolutely impartial, especially when they are the peers of the community. It's it's very weird that we've like required this of jurors to be absolutely impartial to every case that comes across there when they're selected for a jury, which I think is nearly almost impossible because you're going to have some kind of bias affecting some kind of decision, whether it's your conservatism, your liberalism, your racism, your anti-racism, you know, everybody sits somewhere on these spectrums of all these things. And it's very rare to find a completely impartial human being who doesn't care about racism and who also isn't anti-racist um, or vice versa, who, you know, doesn't care about anti-racism, but is also racist. So it's just like, it's very weird that we like require our juries to be 
absolutely impartial, especially when, you know, it's written, I'm pretty sure in our constitutions, that crimes are supposed to be um, tried in the city where they take place, unless, you know, you committed a crime, yeah, if you committed a crime in, let's say, Wisconsin, and you're from Illinois, you're extradited from Illinois to face trial in Wisconsin, because that's where the crime happened. And it's from the peers of the community of that crime who are to be your jury. So I think it's very interesting that we have to have a completely impartial, where rather, we should try to find like a bit of balance, you know, just at least trying to find, okay, if we have six cop sympathizers, then we need six people who don't necessarily sympathize with cops, and then they need to sit in the deliberation and come to an agreement. No matter how long it takes, with their biases, they have to make an argument. They have to reach a unanimous decision when giving all charges. All of these things. I find it very interesting that it's, if it's not in an absolutely impartial jury, that can raise reasonable doubt to whether or not their verdict is justified. And it's, it's, it's very fragile. I, f I feel like having our justice system hanging on that thread is very fragile and could be easily overturning many sentences if not a bunch of sentences so it's very it's very interesting that we have to have that absolutist impartiality when it comes to our juries otherwise it's a tainted verdict and we have to redo everything uh, and that would be on every case like it would literally be almost on every case which i find very interesting because this one sp in, in in particular of course is nationwide um but it's really like i feel like even if they tried them in Minneapolis like you wouldn't really if you try them outside of Minneapolis there's probably still a lot of same people who would have the same sentiments of like the people in Minneapolis we all saw the video Ben and I do remember that when this video originally came out everybody on the right wing sphere came out and said how wrong it looked how horrifying the act of sitting on a man's neck for nine minutes was and now it's not so horrifying which is just weird to me how in a, in a span of time realizing that George Floyd had a criminal record and that he also was struggling with uh, drug addiction now it's not so horrifying you know so it's just um, very strange very strange but that's Ben Shapiro's take <sighs> venturing further down the um, right-wing echo chamber we have Tucker Carlson so there was a political context around this trial. Politics shouldn't have any effect on any trial. Again, that's antithetical to what justice is. But they did intrude at every level of this case. We'll tell you how. After the verdict, Joe Biden declared that systemic racism is a stain on this country's soul. Mm -hmm. So I want to just point out how funny it is that Tucker Carlson says that he's going to show you how they um, tainted every piece of this trial. But first, let's begin at the end. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. A jury in Minnesota found former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin guilty on all counts in the murder of George Floyd last May. It was a murder in the full light of day, and it ripped the blinders off for the whole world to see the systemic racism the Vice President just referred to. The systemic racism is a stain on our nation's soul. <clears throat> the knee on the neck of justice for black Americans. Enough. Enough of this senseless killings. Today, today's verdict is a step forward.
Systemic racism, a term that neither Joe Biden nor anyone else who uses it has ever defined with any precision whatsoever. But more striking is Biden. It's very fascinating that, like, if you can't define a uh, social construct or an abstract idea to uh, Tucker Carlson with absolute clarity, then it just doesn't exist. That's awesome. His posture. You'd think he'd be excited by this. Just this morning, as the jury was still deliberating, the president of the United States said he was praying for a guilty verdict. I'm praying the verdict is the right verdict, which is, I think it's overwhelming in my view. I wouldn't say that unless the, the jury was sequestered now and not hear me say that. <laughs> he, he didn't even say that he was praying for a guilty verdict. And, you know, by saying something as vague as I hope they do the right thing, you know, in a lot of cases, it would be pretty obvious that he's just kind of playing both sides. But this um, this case in particular, um, everybody was pretty certain there's a murder going on. A murder happened. And so, like, you know, Joe, but I don't, I'm not going to say Joe Biden was just pandering, but I do think it was a bit of that, especially with the vagueness. But to say I was praying for the right thing to happen, that's not necessarily coming out and outright saying I want a guilty verdict. Um, anybody could say that at any point. Like, um, I don't know. Tucker Carlson has a show tonight. And so I'm going to be praying that the right thing happens. It's incredibly vague and it can go either way. But of course, you can assume my bias by, by the, the right thing happening is that the power for some reason shuts off and he has to cancel for the night. Um, but yeah, um, he said it when they were sequestered. So I doubt that it's you know really going to reach word to them that like, hey, the president really wants you guys to do the right thing here. Um. But yeah, I, I, I feel like he was just kind of sharing a sentiment around uh, something that everybody was paying attention to at the time. So I think it's very interesting to demonize and con condemn him for it with a very, very milquetoast answer, to be honest with you. Um, but it's very funny that Tucker Carlson just like says, oh, he was praying for a guilty verdict and he's such a bad man for doing so. And Joe Biden gives me this very milquetoast answer of I'm praying for them doing the right thing. When was the last time a sitting president weighed in on a jury decision before it was made? Answer, never. I'm not really sure. I'm not too brushed up on history that much, but I'm also not going to assume that Tucker Carlson's right, mainly because I never do. So. The White House was asked about this just a few hours later and pretended that Joe Biden hadn't actually said what he actually said. And yet you're doing that right now, too. <laughs> so... I guess Tucker Carlson's reading between the lines. You're not able to clarify what is overwhelming, the evidence, the case presented by the prosecution? Uh, we're not going to get ahead of the outcome. I expect when there is a verdict, uh, he will have more to say. Okay. The president has talked about the importance of an independent judiciary. Why is it appropriate for him to weigh in on the verdict, even though the jury is I, I wouldn't think, I don't think he would see it as weighing in on the verdict. He was conveying uh, what many people are feeling across the country. Hmm. Yeah, he was just conveying what many people are I mean, it's very fascinating that I had the same response that Jen Psaki had. Oh, no. I might be a shill. I might be a CIA plant. How would Jen Psaki know what I said? Wait, she said it first. I had no idea that she said it like that. I just think that's like what Joe Biden said was like, like 
harmless, virtually harmless, especially in the in the case that we're looking at, which was a pretty obvious case that like I'm I'm still surprised to this point that like most right wingers spent their time focusing on the criminalization and demonization of George Floyd rather than looking at the pure evidence of a murder of a murder but the thing is though is that conservatives keep arguing for the fact that if they have a criminal if they have criminal behavior cops murdering them does not matter no matter what the criminal behavior is and that's what we're rolling with here so even though everybody thinks the right thing to do is to hold the cop accountable the 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 president isn't supposed to show that at all so even 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 for five seconds with a milk toast response in in the coming and goings of while they're while they're sequestered so it's it's very, very interesting, the conservative output on this, but I, I'm genuinely curious on where the rest of this narrative is really going to go. Feeling. He wasn't weighing in as the single most powerful man in the world on a jury verdict that hadn't been reached yet. He didn't say what you saw him say. If that sounds like a familiar defense, it's exactly what Maxine Waters and her defenders throughout Washington are using today after Waters threatened the jury with violence if it didn't find a guilty verdict. We've got to not only stay in the street, but we've got to fight for justice. But I am very hopeful, and I hope uh, that we're going to get a verdict that say guilty, guilty, guilty. I don't know whether it's in the first degree, but as far as I'm concerned, it's first degree. Well, we've got to stay on the street, uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they they know that we need this. So there's a reason police were all over the streets and cities across the country last night, and it's that. It's the threat of violence. And Maxine Waters threatened violence before the jury had even begun to consider the facts of the case. That's so far over the line that we read some Democrats were shocked by it, and yet no one condemned it. That includes the president. And it includes the most powerful people in the Democratic Party. It's a little frustrating since uh, January 6th, since like a widespread narrative around a stolen election led to the insurrection of our capital, um, a failed insurrection nonetheless, um, that like now advocating um, for direct action is um, immediately insurrectionist talk or... Um, you know, violent rhetoric. It's 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 the unfortunate side effect that we've gotten from Donald Trump now is that any kind of advocation for change, even if a lot of the language is metaphorical, um, yet empowering, um, that language is now seen as inciting in the same way that Donald Trump incited his supporters to storm the Capitol. Um, the only thing is, is that the difference that I can mark here is that most people are fighting for reform. Um, you know, it might seem like they don't want to reform the country and that they want to just tear it all down, which I'm sure some protesters do, especially depending on how far left they really are. But it seems that most of this, with how reserved it is and how the police response is usually overwhelming compared to the, the protesters, um, is that they really just want to see a reform. In, in, coming in the form of social justice and justified um, process of the system. So it just sucks now that we've reached a point where advocation for direct action is the same as inciting for conservatives, which benefits them greatly because then they can easily demon, demonize any left-wing movement that is related to direct action. 
Um, so it's pretty unfortunate in the position that we're at now that um, because the president, um, a former president, Donald Trump, got so many people to storm our Capitol that we're on the edge of anybody who may be advocating for um, protest movements. So that's that's a shitty side effect, to be honest with you. That's a pretty bad one um, that we're going to have to deal with for a while. And it was in the same way that like they wanted to start the 9-11 commission after the J6 to try and hold everybody accountable. But you can you can easily see how that would be used in the same way against left wing movements, although left wing movements aren't the biggest threat to national security so much as far right militia movements are concerned. So cool. That's that's what I got for that. The House, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer of Maryland, they came out in support of Maxine Waters. And then state media, literally state media, public broadcasting system, came out today with an explanation at the White House press briefing. Watch this propagandist explain what Maxine Waters really meant. Um, Representative Waters, as you said, clarified, she said, my actual words don't matter. I wonder why the White House isn't also coming to the defense of Representative Waters, given the fact that she's now facing an onslaught of attacks, especially by, I would say, Republicans. I wonder why the White House isn't saying, we, we back what she said about being confrontational. She was obviously not threatening violence. There are civil rights leaders that are saying that's what, that's what civil rights is, is to be confrontational, to be active. Well, she, could, she also clarified her own remarks, Amy. And I think that's the most powerful piece to point to. <laughs> that lady works for you. She literally works for public television. And there she is ardently flacking for lunatic Maxine Waters at the White House press briefing. Oh, it's all normal. Don't worry. It's always been this way. It hasn't always been this way. And our leaders haven't always talked like they're seized by religious fervor. Here was the Speaker of the House today thanking George Floyd because he died in order to make the Democratic mm -hmm. Party more powerful. All right, before this before this clip plays, yes, this is incredibly cringy, and Nancy Pelosi has always been cringy, and this is bad. This is this is I like honestly, establishment Democrats, please resign, um, and take as many establishment Republicans as you can with you because you guys really are severely detached, like to a Hunger Games level, um, to the streets. Like you guys. I'm sorry, Dems, but you, you've gotten a little too elitist. Like, I don't know where this where this comes from, Nancy Pelosi, beyond the fact that she is completely privileged, like just beyond uh, most people's beliefs. But this is let's here we go. Sacrifice, she said. Watch this. Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice because of you and because of thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice, your name will always be synonymous with justice. So unless we can change the law, this will be an episode. We change the law, we're going down a different path altogether. So the guy dies on the sidewalk and here this lady comes out and politicizes it so completely that he becomes sort of Democratic Party saint. Thank you for your sacrifice. This is grotesque. It's a cult, obviously. Yeah, that's funny. He they he uses literally like everything that the uh, establishment Democrat media used against Donald Trump and flipped it on its head with this one verdict. Um, the fact that like Maxine Waters is inciting insurrections. Um, 
that the left operates like a cult, even though there's not necessarily a demagogue around it. And just because Nancy Pelosi says something, it's like immediately um, representative of everybody in the Democratic Party or what they call leftists. So it's it's very fascinating. Um, yeah, I, I, I really wish Nancy Pelosi did not say what she said because George Floyd did not sacrifice himself for the justice uh, system. That's that's a really grotesque uh, reappropriation of his death. I don't I don't like that at all. Um, I would thank uh, the protesters for ensuring that there was felt pressure that the right thing needed to be done in this case. Uh, but I guess if she had done that, then Tucker Carlson would have said, well, look at her. She's siding with the rioters and the people who want to destroy this country. Mm, what a cult. So, you know, no matter what, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. So uh, speaking of Democrat cult, we're going to get Sean Hannity's perspective because the right wing echo chamber is deep on this one. Everybody's commenting on this case. So let's go. Minneapolis, other cities, New York City preparing for potential unrest at this hour. This despite a jury finding former police officer Derek Chauvin guilty on all charges, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter in the horrific death of George Floyd. Chauvin's bail has now been revoked. He is in jail tonight with sentencing to take place eight weeks from now. And tonight he is facing the likelihood of decades behind bars. The video evidence in this case, it was substantial, it was overwhelming, and it was appalling. The jury arrived with their verdict less than 24 hours after being handed the case. Not a single question asked by the jury to the judge. For 9 minutes and 29 seconds, then-Officer Chauvin shoved his knee into the neck of George Floyd, who was handcuffed and on the ground, and Chauvin continued to apply pressure to Floyd's neck. As we have discussed on this program, the most vulnerable part of the human anatomy, even after Floyd was handcuffed, saying he can't breathe and fully complying with the police. The crowd that had gathered urged the officer to please stop. The knee stayed on George Floyd's neck even after he went unconscious, and the chief of police testified at this trial, this is not what officers are trained to do. So let me be clear. This is in no way an indictment of all police officers. This is a guilty verdict for one police officer. Everywhere, unlike others, on this program, we do make the distinction. We talk about the 99% of good police officers that risk their lives daily to protect and serve their communities. They have a very hard job, and it's getting harder every day. We made that distinction often when we exposed the deep state corruption at the highest levels of the FBI. <laughs> the deep state. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. I get a little queasy around any news outlet that uses the word deep state. Um, but I also find it fascinating that he has to highlight that 99% of police are good cops, which um, citation needed. And if so, why do we need to weed out all these bad cops through trials? So um, I just find it very interesting that these 99% of good cops are pretty silent on that 1% of bad cops. 
the 1%, not the 99% that do their jobs honorably in the FBI. This trial was about the destructive and unlawful actions of one person. And now the jury has spoken, but, well, not everyone in the mob and the media is particularly happy. MSDNC contributor, one there is not happy. According to him, a guilty verdict on every charge just isn't enough. Take a look. I actually always thought that he would be found guilty because it's sort of a cultural makeup call. But I'm not happy. I'm not pleased. I don't have any sense of satisfaction. I don't think this is a system working. I don't think this is a good thing. This is not the system working. This is a makeup call. This is the justice mm -hmm. system trying to say that, hey, this is one bad apple, because that's how this is going to be interpreted. It's gonna be just <laughs> and that's exactly what Sean Hannity is doing. Because it's very funny that, like, they're like, um, you see, we got Derek Chauvin now. Aren't you guys happy? Everything's fixed? Like, this is this is one case out of God knows how many um, went completely without trial. Like, honestly, the fact that, like, in Breonna Taylor's case, they didn't even bring up murder charges. So, you know, this isn't this this you know there's definitely room to breathe here and to find um a bit of solace in this breaking of the clouds right but for the most part we're still dealing with the same exact system that has 98% of cops who use excessive force not facing any accountability for that whatsoever so while this is a moment to celebrate the accountability of authority it doesn't mean that the whole entire battle for accountability of authority has been won so it's very fascinating that the, the conservative position is like aren't you guys happy now like jesus when does it stop <laughs> one bad apple he got in trouble yay blah 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 reckless irresponsible rhetoric but predictable the jury found that the officer was guilty on every single charge according to johnson only a radical reform will bring about true justice well, radical reform Defund the police, dismantle the entire police, dismantle our entire system. How do you think that's going to work out in the end? Congresswoman Acosta. It's very fascinating, too. That I, I feel like I bring this up all the time, but like conservatives are just afraid of the R word, the R word and, and the S word. And so, like, radical and socialist are just these two words that are like, like immediate hot buttons, like immediate taboo initiated. It's just, it's very funny to me. Like, as soon as they hear the word radical, they're like, oh, no, I have to oppose that. Um, when radical just merely means big change, you know, it's just it's it's a word, a harmless word that exists in the dictionary. I'm saying it now and you're still alive. Um, it's a word that means that we have to do something bigger than what we've done before. Um, and that means a lot because since the 90s at least since rodney king they've talked about police reform um and that the since the 90s of rodney king we got george floyd brianna taylor elijah mcclain tamir rice Phil philando castile say their names it, it, so like obviously the incremental reforms that we've been doing since rodney king have not been enough so we need something more dare i say it radical and that's not something to be afraid of. Like that means that we're heading into territory that you know most Americans should be proud of, which is innovation, experimentation, trying to figure out how we can have a society with much more peaceful law and order than just the law and order we've been dealing with. So it's it's very fascinating. As soon as that word comes out, they're like, oh god, 
Ocasio Cortez, not the, the leader radical. of the quote squad, she agrees. She would also like to use Floyd's death to achieve her radical ideas, like disarming police during traffic stops. Will somebody maybe please last? It's really funny how like disarming police is a radical idea when uh, Western countries have that pretty normalized. <laughs> Just like how like universal healthcare is radical, even though other developed nations have it it's it's so funny it's so funny anything anything that's too different from what we've been doing is way too radical and that's just like it's in their name conservative conserve power you know hold on to it don't change it conserve it <laughs> this week the tape was released of a quote routine traffic stop and that new mexico officer was shot dead maybe send it to the congresswoman take a look it's not justice. And I'll explain to you why it's not justice. It's not justice because justice is George Floyd going home tonight to be with his family. Justice is Adam Toledo getting tucked in by his mom tonight. Justice is when you're pulled over there not being a gun that's part of that interaction because you have a headlight out. Remember Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, a few other radical members of Congress, they're the ones in charge of this Democratic Socialist Party, the Green New Deal. It's not Joe Biden. I don't even know if he knows what day it is. He gets blown over by the wind on any given day, we're told. It's certainly not Kamala Harris. Apparently also got blown over by the wind today. And it's not Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer. Nancy Pelosi is speaker in name only. Now, Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, they follow the squad's agenda. So it's no yeah. surprise that just moments ago, Joe Biden echoed Congresswoman... If they followed the squad's agenda, we would be so much closer to getting the Green New Deal, like a lot closer than we actually are. And if they were really following their agenda, I'm pretty sure that $15 minimum wage uh, would have passed in the COVID relief bill. So, and how come it wasn't a part of the American Job Rescue Plan? Huh? Huh? Why, why isn't $15 minimum wage a part of infrastructure? Huh? So it's very fascinating uh, that they're a part of the squad, and yet they don't enact anything that the squad proposes. Ocasio-Cortez vowed for changes for America, but that's not all. Biden also called on Americans to protest with purpose. What did he mean here? Take a look. The murder of George Floyd launched a summer of protest we hadn't seen since the civil rights era in the 60s. Protests that unified people of every race and generation in peace and with purpose to say enough, enough, enough of this senseless killings. Protests with a purpose, is that what happened last summer, Joe? When you didn't have the courage to speak out against the violent riots that were taking place on a nightly basis all over the country, you didn't even mention it at the Democratic National Convention, not one time, when a police precinct was burned to the ground in Minneapolis. Downtown Portland was on fire for weeks. Seattle rioters took over several city blocks, including a police precinct. Multiple young people were murdered during that so-called summer of love, Chaz Chop, autonomous zone, spaghetti potluck dinner zone. And yeah, it was a uh, last summer was an 
incredible shitstorm, but imagine like if, you know, we had held Derek Chauvin accountable for his actions a lot sooner. You know, if if it wasn't hanging in the air that a cop could be uh, immune to murder charges, if that wasn't hanging in the air for over a year, imagine if we were much more swifter with our justice and accountability, how much of that actually could have been avoided. And how much, too, that, like, we had a president who added fuel to the fire of the flames. So, like, it's just marvelous that we're 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 of course all of these things happen indubitably they did but they didn't happen in a vacuum sean hannity and they didn't happen with like no context or no reason it was a shitty year and a lot contributed to that not only the fact of uh george floyd being murdered but also the covid response a president who was so fascist that we could feel it encroaching on our in in our very bones so it's just it was a very difficult summer and we're not showing any solidarity whatsoever coming from Fox News. So that's 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 good. That's that's good. We're just, you know, anybody who took part in the protest last year and who is satisfied with this verdict are all a bunch of demons apparently. And then you chose Kamala Harris, a person who promoted the bail fund to get rioters out of jail in Minneapolis. Remember during the height of the violence, she said, quote, they're not going to stop. And everyone, you beware, because they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November. They're not going to stop after Election Day. And everyone should take note of that on both levels. They're not going to let up, and they should not, and we should not. Well, now we're facing another, what, summer of violence? But instead of calming tensions and calling for justice, Biden is pouring, yep, fuel on the fire. On multiple occasions, he said that America is slipping back into Jim Crow, calling the Georgia voting law bill Jim. That's wonderful. That's honestly wonderful. That fuel on the fire. Like, Sean Hannity is more concerned about the president calling out racism than actual racism. <laughs> That's the position that Fox News is going with right now. Wow. Wow, Sean. I'm, I'm, I'm actually so blown away. Like, it's... It's subtle, but not subtle enough, like that you're obviously more concerned with people calling out racism or, or uh, you know, uh, injustice than you are the injustice and the racism. That's, that's amazing. Jim <laughs> Crow 2.0 or Jim Crow in the oh, 21st man. century, which, by the way, the voting law in Georgia is far more there's far more access for every person in Georgia than his home state of Delaware, the one he called the slave state. Uh, as a matter of fact, for 50 years, he never lifted a finger to make voting more accessible in the state of Delaware. 17 days early in-person vote. I don't know. Um, I don't, I'm not too familiar with Delaware's voting laws, but Georgia's voting laws... Um, a bit of it is racist, but most of it's undemocratic. I think like solely focusing on just the, the racism definitely gets like a certain demographic more outraged than others. Those who are sympathetic to the racism, of course, are going to be just as outraged. But I think um, focusing in on how um, restricting voting access and um, just kind of clamping down with more voter suppression, while it is racist, it's also incredibly anti-democratic. So I feel like if we're going to convince the people who are racist, because you're not going to convince people who are racist to oppose racist policies they're gonna they're gonna support it because it's racist and they're racist so rather than that focus in on how 
it might be because um, you know it's still racist. I don't think we should fuck around with these reductionisms. Where if I say it's just anti-democratic, that we should ignore the racism part. We shouldn't. That should be brought in alongside the discussion. But I also think that focusing in on the if we're if we're going to do the reductionism and rather than focusing on just the racist aspects of this bill the undemocraticness is at least more encompassing for the racists who supposedly support um democrat countries you know saying that you know we're we're so great because we're democratic well then why are you supporting a law in georgia that suppresses votes Th then you can come in from a different position when talking to these racist motherfuckers but um, still, I'm not, I'm, 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 I think it's very funny that even though Joe Biden did point out, hey, this is a racist law mainly targeting black people in low income neighborhoods, that it, that's a bigger problem for Sean Hannity than being like that that's that there's racism going on. So it's very fascinating. Very, very funny. Very funny stuff to me. I have no idea about debt lawyers uh, voting voting laws. Um, but if if it's more restrictive than um Georgia's, then we'll have to look in Delaware to see if it specifically targets minority and lower in class individuals in the same way that like most Republican gerrymandering and you know county districts does affect them. Like if if it's true in Delaware, then we should be looking to reform that and get it less restrictive than Georgia. But I'm not 100 percent sure if that's even true at all. So um, I did want to look here at his. thing he lives in delaware right now right like he has a house in delaware he was born in pennsylvania political party um let's see what um early life u.s senate uh swore biden and so he was a senator for delaware it's all it's also weird too because like he wasn't senator of Delaware the entire like 40 years of his career, I don't think. Judiciary Committee Jesus. He was reelected. He was elected in 1972 and then reelected in 78, 84, 90, 96, 2002 and 2008. So actually, yeah, he <laughs> he actually has a lot to do with um No, no, he he really doesn't because Joe Biden in the Senate doesn't vote on state legislatures. Um he votes merely he represents in Washington DC. So it is it is actually a little bit ridiculous to expect Joe Biden to fix anything in Delaware other than represent them in the Senate. So that's actually that's pretty funny. I I should have just acknowledged that early on and that's a dumb ar argument to make Sean Hannity. But it's the same thing that like fucking Trump would make all the time is that like Joe Biden's been in government for 40 years and how come he hasn't fixed any of our problems? It's like is he the only guy in the government? And at some point, did we just grant totalitarianism to Joe Biden while he was in the Senate? Like, what are we talking about? So I, it's the same argument. It's the same one. I don't know why I'm, I'm, that's dumb. We need to move on. We need to move. Voting in Georgia, none in Delaware. Zero drop boxes in Delaware. But yeah, in Georgia, they have a box in every precinct. And by the way, both states require voter ID. So they limited 
uh, the amount of drop boxes in Georgia. Um, so just because there's one per county doesn't mean that's really accessible to everybody in the county, especially if you're reducing the amount that were originally in those counties. So that would be considered, you guessed it, voter suppression. Reducing the amount of voter drop boxes in a county is voter suppression. That's that's it. That's that. And if Delaware is truly in this position, then I hope the citizens of Delaware are well aware of this and move and pressure their politicians to have better voting laws. We're not going to hold Joe Biden accountable for this just because he's a he's a mouthpiece to the Georgia law, which, of course, the Georgia law is trending politically. It's in everybody's consciousness, but it's so brazen in the things that it wanted to do. So, like, um, yeah, no, this is this is a dumb argument. Let's move. How's that Jim Crow 2.0? It's this kind of reckless, irresponsible rhetoric from politicians that divides this country. By the way, this, this is a bill that standardizes drop boxes and mail-in voting, and both states require voter ID on absentee ballots. In order to score cheap political points, Joe Biden brings up Jim Crow 2.0. Democrats now believe that they can win votes by what, vilifying America? This is not a perfect country. We've said that many times. But through our history, we have our system of justice. We have a constitution. Our founders, our framers, they put in place a system to right wrongs and correct injustices. <laughs> and Americans have proven to do so over and over again. Many fought and died to end slavery. Remember the Civil Rights Joe Act of Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, again major steps towards a more perfect union. And by the way, Joe Biden, key Democrats filibustered those bills, including your good friend that you praised often, Robert Byrd, the former Klansman, the guy that you partnered with in the 70s to stop integration of our schools. You didn't want them to become, your words, racial jungles. And tonight, Joe Biden said that we need to confront racial disparities. Isn't he, wasn't he the author of the 94 crime bill? the one that puts so many African-Americans behind bars, as Dana Lash put it, quote, the irony of a... Yeah, I mean, Joe Biden is the, like, the Democrat establishment. Like, as much as Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are, Hillary Clinton, is that they have, like, led us into the position that we are currently facing, which I think is funny that, like, that's why, like, I'm a Bernie supporter is because Bernie did seem like a breath of fresh air compared to these, like, regular establishment Democrats. Um, so... You know, of course, you know, Joe Biden's playing the politician because modern era times wouldn't would not accept 1970s nor 1990s Joe Biden. The, he would have lost incredibly quickly on the Democratic platform if he was running as the same Joe Biden that ran in 1990. Um, so, like, yeah, this is this is just politicians being politicians. Um, I definitely think that, you know, as long as he's somewhat doing the right thing now there's no point of criticizing him for his um past in general but the thing is though is that at least we're aware of his past and know that joe biden is just the moderate establishment democrat that we know him to be um and we can hold him accountable in those regards um but um highlighting this as some kind of gotcha hypocrisy doesn't really I don't know. It doesn't do much except for con continually pigeonholing uh, Fox News viewers into the same pigeonhole that they've been in, which is anti-Democrat reactionary policy. Like, that's, that's all it is. So, 
a politician who championed segregation and authored the crime bill, now lecturing on systemic racism is pretty something. Well, I mean, if he's if he's also one of the champions of segregation and authoring the crime bill and is well aware of how the system can be used uh, systematically for racist purposes, um, uh, Joe Biden would probably be one of the top people to actually point it out um, if he's doing it from an authentic place. And you got to I'm going to question whether or not it's authentic throughout the rest of his presidency, because as I know from politicians, is that they have a specific public appearance that has to be maintained in order for them to operate so meanwhile in a very bizarre speech over in the house nancy pelosi essentially thanked george floyd for what for taking one for the team are you kidding me watch this thank you george floyd for sacrificing your life for justice for being there to call out to your mom how how heartbreaking was that yeah, call like, what out are you your doing? Mom. I can't breathe. But because of you and because of thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice, your name will always be synonymous with justice. Speaker Pelosi, George Floyd was killed. And by the way, today's guilty verdict was put in jeopardy by one of your own colleagues prior to the verdict, many on the left seemingly trying to influence this jury's decision. This morning, Joe Biden announced that he was praying the jury would do the right thing and deliver the right verdict. He even called the family of George Floyd while the jury was out deliberating. Meanwhile, Congresswoman Maxine Waters was busy lobbying threats of violence, encouraging more confrontational riots if Chauvin wasn't found guilty on all three counts. Watch this. And not just manslaughter, right? I mean... Oh, no, not manslaughter. No, no, no. This is, this is guilty for murder. we got to stay on the street. Uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we mean business. And keep in mind that Maxine Waters has broadly vilified police for years, yet according to the Daily Wire, she requested police protection, how ironic, for her trip to Minnesota. By the way, I haven't noticed many congressmen or women or senators uh, saying defund the Capitol Police. Remember, she made comments that you just heard. Even Judge Peter Cahill, who's presiding over the Chauvin trial, called her rhetoric abhorrent and said that Maxine Waters' statements could be used by the defense as grounds for a future appeal. Watch this. I'll give you that Congresswoman Waters may have given you something on appeal that may result in this whole trial being overturned. I wish elected officials would stop talking about this case, especially in a manner that is disrespectful to the rule of law and to the judicial branch in our function. I think if they want to give their opinions, they should do so in a respectful and in a manner that is consistent with their oath to the Constitution, to respect a co-equal branch of government. Their failure to do so, I think, is abhorrent. Yeah, but the thing is, though, is that we have a, uh, a checks and balances system, but a part of a democratic um, society, I would think that the biggest checker of the balance would probably be the voters, the, the, the consent of those being governed. 
So I, I like again, I, I hate the fact that like advocation for direct action is now being used as insight for insightfulness for rioting and um, insurrection and stuff like that. Like the conflation now is almost impossible to go back on. Um, but it is unfortunate now that there is enough um, fervor from Maxine Waters um, words to give Derek Chauvin the room for an appeal. Although like that's, I think I said it in, in the previous podcast with Tim pool is that they're like the right wing media is moving towards the narrative that if the jury, the jury felt pressured by the citizenry or the rest of the country to find Derek Chauvin guilty or else the country would burn or Minneapolis would burn. Not sure. Like, I mean, they could ask the jurors, you know, go through the process of seeing that if that's how their uh, verdict was come to. But um, even so, I, I, I don't think that's what happened. And um, it's just unfortunate that that's going to be the narrative that's going to be pushed is that the jury was pressured and that there wasn't a uh, rational thought going into this verdict. So it's very unfortunate that Maxine Waters, um, she's kind of the tool uh, not sure if willingly or unwillingly, but she's the tool of the right wing now to try and overturn um, the results of Derek Chauvin's trial. And we'll see if that develops any further, whether or not an appeal will be accepted or not. But um, that's that's pretty unfortunate. Now, according to Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz, what Maxine Waters did, coupled with the judge refusing to sequester the jury, could lead to the U.S. Supreme Court ultimately reversing this conviction. Now, time will tell if Dershowitz is right, but of course, it's grounds for an appeal, as the judge just said. A sitting member of Congress calling on people to take to the streets and get confrontational if, they, if she didn't get her desired verdict. So where are all the Democrats? Months ago, they were the ones that were obsessed with the term insurrection and deeply concerned, they said, about law and order. Where are they tonight? You can call them, I guess, the insurrectionist caucus, the ones that were silent all last summer when rioting was breaking out all over the country. What, it's only insurrection or rioting if they can use it against Donald Trump and, and Republicans as a political wedge? It's only insurrection if it's an in, 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 in an attempt to overthrow government or a governmental institution, and which they tried to do. Um, the January 6th riot, riot insurrection was an attempt to overthrow uh, the Congress, um, and it it was un, you know fortunately it was disorganized, decentralized, and ultimately failed. Um, but it wasn't an attempt to overturn the election, which is a democratic institution within this country. So, um, you know, calling anything an insurrection because it goes against the powers that be is a really dangerous place to play in, in, in this whole game. Because honestly, as soon as authoritarian fascism does rise in this country, it'll be much easier to quell protests on left wing or even First Amendment movements um, because, you know, everything's an insurrection now at this point. So, yeah, that's that's uh, that sucks. Virtually no one on the left is condemning Waters' remarks. No one. And by the way, this is not the first time. Maxine Waters has called for violence numerous times. It's not even close. You likely remember some of these great moments. You need to respect the chair and shut your mouth. You see anybody from that.
That's that's a call for violence is telling someone to shut their mouth. Cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station. You get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome. The people are going to turn. I like how uh, calling for people to get a crowd is a call for violence, even though, like, if you get a crowd, that's, like, more witnesses. It's, it's, uh, that's funny. But that's, this is what I'm saying, is that advocation towards direct action is being completely vilified. And so, like, anybody that is going to hold political office can no longer be advocates for, um, movements. So, um, that's cool. This is a new development that we're going into, coinciding the fact that every, uh, protest is now an insurrection. Turn on them. They're going to protest. They're going to uh, absolutely harass them until they decide that they're going to tell the president, no, I can't hang with you. I did not <laughs> threaten his constituents, his supporters. Uh, I do that all the time, but I didn't do it that time. This is a bunch of scumbags. That's what they are. And with this kind of inspiration, I will go and take Trump out tonight. I will go and take Trump out tonight. Get in their faces at the gross. We remember Maxine Waters' assassination attempt on Donald Trump in 2017, don't we? <laughs> That's when that clip was from. It was from October 13, 2017. So, um, yeah, yeah. Grocery store, create a crowd <laughs> and go after them. They're not wanted anywhere, any, anytime, anymore. Waters, Ocasio-Cortez, the rest of the squad, they now run the Democratic Party. They're in charge. Schumer, Pelosi, Biden are deathly afraid of them. And now they're on a mission to not only defund the police, but now dismantle and eliminate the police in America. But we know what happens when police are defunded, don't we? Or they're forced to pull back or afraid to do their job. Look at these numbers. You should pay attention. In the city of Atlanta, my old hometown, murder is up 58%. He's focusing on numbers that would make people afraid of changing the police department. I just want to highlight that. New York City, murder is up 40%. Even defunding efforts in Milwaukee, guess what? Homicides there went up a whopping 97%. In Chicago, murders this year alone are up 33% over last year's record increase. We've been scrolling the names of murder victims, shooting victims in Chicago for years when Biden was vice president, Obama's hometown, and he was president. We scrolled names you never heard of before. We what about when uh, George Bush was president or when Dick Cheney was vice president or when Trump was president? How come how come you've only been scrolling names since uh, uh, Obama was president or Joe Biden? Why is that? Why are those the only times? Begged for action. They didn't lift a finger in Obama's hometown. Can anyone tonight, can you name the latest round of murder victims in Chicago? Because there were 26 people shot this weekend. Five are dead. A seven-year-old little... And it's still a very heavily policed area, and they have been for a while now. And uh, a lot of studies had shown that police presence does not uh, lead to a decline in crime. So... Um, the, the biggest link to crime is actually poverty. So um, we might want to go on a war on poverty before we go on the war on the poor. A girl was murdered in a McDonald's drive-thru. Is anybody paying attention? Do you know her name tonight? 
Those are important lives, too. I wonder if we, he knows What about name? the 103 policemen so far this year in this country that have died, most of them shot and killed in the line of duty? They're it's funny that he knows 103 cops have died, but does he know that 268 civilians? It's probably more than that now. Um, but at the time of this recording, from my most recent knowledge, there's already been over 260 uh, police-involved killings. So, yeah. Yeah, this is this is the thing. is cherry-picking info so you can get a political agenda across. And it's in the political agenda here is conserve the status quo. Um, any reforms or any change are completely unacceptable. And so we have to make sure that our viewers know that these are the statistics that hold in their brain when anybody says defund the police or reform the police. Their lives matter too. Their families' lives matter. Make no mistake, when police are vilified, when they are defunded, uh, when they're severely restricted, when they're dismantled, every American will suffer. That won't end well. We'll monitor the situation on the ground in Minneapolis all night. Hmm. Yep. 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 So, you know, per usual, if we change anything or, you know, if America tries something new, then we're at total risk of failing and we're going to destroy ourselves. If we destroy the police departments, uh, we destroy America as we know it. So that's like, like, what do you do with that? Honestly, besides just constantly living in fear of anything changing. It's crazy. Um, now for the final piece, De La Resistance. Um, I'm not going to play the whole thing because it's just a segment from Crowder, uh, not Crowder, uh, Tim Pool's uh, podcast or video stream or whatever. So I'm only going to play a little bit um, and that, that that's, that's going to be it. We're going to be through the echo chamber. Derek Chauvin found guilty on every single count, or at least all the murder charges. When they announced the verdict was coming in, turned the TV on, I sat down, and we all sat in suspense waiting for them to make the announcement. And the judge came in and he read the verdict on the count of murder in the second degree, guilty, murder in the third degree, guilty, and manslaughter in the second degree, guilty. And I think a lot of people expected this because the, the verdict came back so soon. As soon as this verdict came out, we saw people in the streets, you know, cheering, celebrating, and crying. Now they're marching already. I don't know if there's going to be riots. I think there likely still will be riots because all of the people are outside. That's all that really matters. A lot of people don't <laughs> care about whether there's a verdict or not. <laughs> That's the thing, though, is that Tim Pool was wrong about the trial. He said that he was almost certain that Derek Chauvin was going to be acquitted. He was wrong. And then he predicted last night that there would be more riots. And guess what? He was wrong. Uh, there were no riots last night. Um, and it's very funny to me, too, especially, I think, for sure, in Minneapolis. I'm not sure how o Ohio did. Um, but I think it's very interesting that everybody said, no matter where the verdict goes, there's going to be riots. And then, like, there was no riot in Minneapolis last night because it's pretty obvious what verdict that they wanted to see, which was a uh, cop being held accountable kind of verdict. So... And some of these organizations and activists are saying it's not justice. Obama said it's not justice. AOC said it's not justice. True justice would be if Floyd was still alive and the whole system has to be reformed. So these people are out marching. I think it's possible that eventually the police say you need to stop and go home. They say F you. They throw a brick. Boom, more riots. It's going to be particularly interesting to see how the public reacts when they realize that nothing will satiate the violence. We got a lot about this to talk about. There's a lot of stories. Maxine Water was defended by Democrats over her threat, threats against the jury and incitement to insurrection. 
And we're going to have to break this down. And uh, man, it's going to get brutal. But we have, a, we have a great guest today. We have former Trump staffer and current, uh, well, I guess you're running for Congress in Illinois 16th, Catalina Lauf. Yeah. Want to introduce yourself real quick? Yes. Thanks so much for having me. I'm running for Congress in Illinois 16th District, uh, former appointee to the Department of Commerce uh, and Midwestern girl. You are running against the infamous Adam Kinzinger. Yes, he was one of the 10 who voted uh, to impeach President Trump and is just all around a you know, weak need, backstabbing. There's uh, still some time until the, it's a, the primary, right? Is that when Yes, it? yeah. So it'll be next year. Uh, we're running in 2022. And, and it's been a great, great run so far. A lot of people are so fed up with the way that, you know, not only politicians on all sides of the aisle have been acting lately, but certainly uh, some of these kind of traitors on the Republican Party side. So we're really excited and we've had a ton of energy and support and we can't wait. Right on. Well, we'll, we'll talk all about it. We got Ian. He's chilling. Yo, what up, dudes? Ian Cross on over Ian, here. Ian was pissed. I was. I was like, Ian, stop swearing. I was out of my <laughs> was, mind. Yeah. Tim earlier was like, well, they already fe- they already came to a, a verdict. And I was like, well, I guess he's innocent then. I guess they found mm-hmm. him innocent. That was my only. Because it was so it fast. It was so fast. Yeah. But I guess getting him guilty on all equally as possible. It's just shocking. It's like clown world. I would I would have been if it was. We'll, we'll save it. We'll save yeah. it. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're going to go off. We got Lydia. She's yeah, I'm buns. also here. I'm so excited to have Catalina. She's just oh. like freaking inspiring. She's about my age mm-hmm. and she's happen excited all right before we get into the big story we have still lock your doors and window vpn for only all discounts are no advertising channel no check them out again bonus segment coming up after this show comes and goes in waves so we set this up in the event the keep the intro to a to a minimum because we are about to go off on this jury finds Derek chauvin guilty of murder no swearing no swearing. I couldn't believe it. No, I could believe it. I absolutely could believe it. The jury was threatened. Maxine Waters threatened the jury. The rioters threatened the jury. And there are left-wing journalists right now saying the only reason we got this verdict is because we spent months out in the streets. And I'm like, they're even admitting it. It was the threat of violence and destruction that resulted in the jury saying Derek Chauvin should go to prison. What did I say? I've said this since like Tim Pool's. <laughs> I've said this since the last video that I did on Tim Pool. Like this is the narrative that they're going with. It's I, I, oh man, it's getting too clear for me now. I watch too much of this stuff on second degree murder. Now I will. I, I want to be fair. They're they're getting on the felony murder rule, arguing that it was assault against George Floyd. And because it was felony assault and George Floyd died, therefore it's murder. Okay. I think there's maybe an argument of, of assault, but this is what, what really makes me think that this is nuts. We watched the video in great detail. The defense showed the video. George Floyd was resisting arrest. A bystander even said, you can't win, man. Just get in the car. No joke. The prosecution and the defense showed that in closing arguments. A guy yelling to Floyd to stop resisting. Some random bystander. So I'm sitting here like and the guy who was re- resisting arrest also said, hey, man, can like he he said, I'll go down on the ground, anything. So, um, you know, the guy resisting arrest also offered to go into the prone position. Why is the prosecution showing George Floyd actively resisting and, and a bystander saying stop resisting? So you mean to tell me that a cop is trying to arrest somebody for a counterfeit for potential under the under the influence and now a resisting arrest and it's assault. If the guy says, hold me on the ground, hold me on the ground, hold me on the ground, like George Floyd did, and then Chauvin holds him on the ground, and they say, that's felony assault. Oh, and he died? Murder. Now he's going to go to prison. So I'll tell you this. 
I'm not a big fan. I'm not interested. You have to acknowledge too, though, that like the the prone position or the maximum restraint move that Derek Chauvin used on George Floyd was not a part of Minneapolis Police Department training. So that's that has to be acknowledged. Um, and it also has to be acknowledged that even using the maximum restraint position, Derek Chauvin did not have his knee in the correct position. He had it on his neck when it was supposed to be at the base of his neck between his shoulder blades. So that can be easily considered as assault. In defending the state or police institutions as a whole, my interest is is in the individual Derek Chauvin and his rights. And I'm not happy that you know about what happened to George Floyd, but I will tell you, if you got a problem with the state and the system and the policing, take it up with the state, the system, and the policing. But now, you know what happened? The state literally won. It was the state of Minnesota versus Derek Chauvin. And the state won their case. Why? Because leftists, extremists, activists went out, burned down their city. Leftist journals are the ones saying this. They're being on the ground and engaging these activities resulted in this verdict. Maxine Waters making these threats. And so I don't think you like I don't think you can keep making these cases either, because um, even like in Michael Brown's um, case, they you know, the jury didn't feel pressured to acquit the officer who did get acquitted for Michael Brown's killing. Um you know, they were found innocent. Um, protests proceeded. I mean, it's happened many times, like even in Breonna Taylor's case where they, you know, came out with that. The fact that the grand jury wasn't even presented with a murder, a murder charge. There's there's multiple cases of the state not, quote unquote, winning and the the officer getting off and uh, protests going on anyways. And that literally having no effect on any of the system whatsoever. Um, this one was so obvious in its murder that it's just it's even wild to me that they keep arguing this 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 whatsoever. Like I, I maybe I didn't need the Tim Pool video in here because he's saying exactly the same thing as the other three videos that we've gone through. So the jury sided with the state. Chauvin's one man. You got a problem with the actions of an individual officer that crossed the line? By all means, hold them accountable. But Chauvin. Ugh. Also, though, the other officers that were there are going on trial August 23rd. Is acting as per the, the rules of the police department. Arrest somebody if they commit a crime. If they resist arrest, here's the force you can use. I don't see how throwing one man under the bus is going to solve any of these problems. And I still think we're going to see riots. So nothing gets solved in the long run other than a bunch of weak and terrified jurors who just say guilty because I'd rather not have my house burned down. Uh, I think I that's wonderful that he would assume that he would assume that about the jurors and then call them weak. That's very that's very interesting. Um, I would love for like one of the jurors to call him up and be like, yo, what the fuck? I agree with Obama that it was not justice. Uh, and uh, Alexandria Cortez. Yeah, but wasn't oh, justice. Oh, Obama. But right. You're taking it the other direction. Yeah, I am taking it the other direction, Barack, because it wasn't <laughs> Barack Obama said true justice is about much more than a single verdict. AOC said this is not justice because they need to keep the grift going. They need to always be angry. Well, and think about I mean, think about everything that led up to Yes and no, but the system needs to change. Like that's 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 the true justice. The true outcome of all of this is for the system to change. Not for not not for one cop to face accountability out of like hundreds of thousands. So that's that's dumb. To all of this I mean even when you look at the riots and all this when you have people that are not firm on people going to jail I mean we saw massive amounts of damage millions of dollars 
this was obviously incredibly politicized. And then to your point about Maxine Waters, when you have all of these kind of like tectonic plates almost uh, building up this pressure and then ultimately have, you know, the, the media on talking about this and being in favor of the way it should go, quote, quote unquote, and then you have politicians speaking out. And then on top of that, all of this civil unrest that's kind of really creating this this uh, pressure um, it really is concerning on who is choosing, uh, you know, is this going to happen a lot? It's, I mean, it's, when it's, does it, when does the, the rioting and the, everything that led up to this, when does it end? You know, the one, the one, uh, they say, you know, got what God closes the door, he opens a window. The one thing I can see is I think the second amendment's about to get a whole Not, not, not the unarmed killing of American citizens. Not when does that end, but when does the rioting and the protesting end? That's that again, like showing what you're concerned of rather than what, what other people are concerned of speaks more to your character than anything else. Like, yes, property damage is bad and people shouldn't die at protests. People shouldn't die in the name of politics at all, but this is the world that we live in. Um, but to be more concerned about the protests and the left-wing movements than actual deaths of American citizens at the hand of our law enforcement speaks more volumes of your character than actual character of this country. Um, so uh, that the, the 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 protests and the rioting will stop when cops com- stop unjustifiably being the executioner in in our streets that that's 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 a good marker for me i don't know about everybody else but um when cops stop feeling like they're immune to consequences thus killing people rather than having them go to court um i would say i would say we might see a bit more peace a bit more peace going on then whole lot stronger but i still do think it's very fascinating that everybody's just like you got Derek chauvin found guilty why are you still pissed off yeah, it's it's dumb. It's dumb because like that doesn't change the system. The system has not changed. Like qualified immunity is barely being on, put on the chopping block under uh, underneath the the George Floyd Policing Act. So um, yeah, we we have a long way to go still with holding cops accountable. And you know they we gave them body cam footage. Why aren't they satisfied now? And you know the we got George Floyd's murder behind bars. Why aren't they satisfied now? It's like you got one. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's literally not enough. As long as people keep dying at the hands of police, which multiple people ha- multiple people have already died from police this year, and um, you know several of them white, several of them black. It's uh, it's a problem, and it needs to be fixed. If these if these people are going to go out and riot, I really don't see why they would not. Because you have the Dante Wright incident as well. So they're not going to be satisfied with just this. I think it would have been way worse. But now I can only imagine more liberals are going to be like, need You have Dante Wright. You have Adam Toledo. And um, yesterday in Ohio. Um, And then um, I think the other one was um, Dylan Payton, if I'm not mistaken. Um. No, it's not Dylan Payton. I'll get his name in a second. There it is, Payton Ham. Sorry, Payton Ham. So we 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 already have multiple, and two of them teenagers. Like so far, they've been killing like teenagers. 
because Adam Toledo was a was a teenager as well, wasn't he? And so was Dante Wright was barely twenty. Adam Toledo was even younger. Um. Adam Toledo was really young. Dante Wright was young. Um, last night in Ohio, she was very young, and Peyton Ham was also very young. So, um, yeah, uh, with the like most recent ones being under the age of like twenty and below, like there's some serious things we gotta look at. Gun. So I guess there's that at least. And it to your point, I tweeted this. Or I should say, I tweeted this, and it works to your point. I said, let this be a lesson to all police. You will be charged. You will be imprisoned. When I saw that story about uh, Kim Potter is her name, I think, the cop in the Dante Wright thing, I'm like, why is, she, why is anyone surprised this is happening to her? I think if you're a cop watching this happen to, to Chauvin and these other officers, and you choose to stay there, hey, man, it's a free country. You do what you want to do. But there's only so much I can do to, to defend you when you know what the mob wants you know the pop- It's funny that like the left left wing movement wants cops to resign because they support a system that kills American citizens with impunity, and um, Tim Pool wants them to resign because they will actually face consequences now. <laughs> it's, it's it's his argument. So that's just the contrast. It's funny. It's very funny. Politicians are going to give it to them, and you know there will not be a fair trial. You, you expect to, to, to get passed through this? I don't think so. Well, we're seeing so much of a, I mean, at all campaigning, I, I talk with a lot of law enforcement. We're in, a, in such a, you know, back the blue type of area where you have so many people either retiring from the, law, from the police force and law enforcement. People, they have shortages now. People don't even want to join uh, the force. And I think eventually, I mean, these things need to be done in an honest way. And, and that's just not being, it's just, just not happening right now. It's, um, it's, it's perfectly in line with what the left wanted. Right. Defund the police, abolish the police. And if mm-hmm. that doesn't work, drive the police out with threats and intimidation and terror. The, the court mm-hmm. of public opinion is making me nervous. It's, mm-hmm. it's really powerful. I knew it was powerful in 2006 when I saw YouTube videos and that you could get 50,000 people to call somebody at the same time on the same day. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And, and then the next day do it again. Or order pizzas, you yeah. know, just and it and it causes serious problems. Take, take all your money out of the bank at the same time on the same day. Just crash a bank on any given day, and a YouTuber. Could, I mean, could, could do that. And I know these are mutually exclusive, but also, why was it encouraged? I mean, you had encouragement on on the the BLM and the riots and the protesting from from all these different angles as well. And I know it's a, a little different from the actual you know verdict today, but. These things are being encouraged, yep. and that is a big problem. At what point are are your elected officials going to stand up and say, no? It's not going to happen until regular people say something, and they won't mm-hmm. because they're scared. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, we, 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 Ian and I got They're an- using such broad language. I don't honestly even know what they're truly talking about here. I argued about this the other day where I was like, if the people of Minneapolis, the Twin Cities of Minnesota, will not personally stand up and say, I support the police and this is wrong, mm-hmm. then the police have no support. Now, you can whisper it to your friends, ain't enough. These people don't want to put Blue Lives Matter flags up. They want to put American flags up because they know they'll get targeted. Okay, then the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Mm-hmm. The reason why it's being encouraged, major corporations know there is no opposition. If they come out and they, what Ben and Jerry's, Ben and Jerry, ice cream company yelling at me about racist cops. 
Like, I don't care, dude. You guys make cookie ice cream. I, I don't need to hear from you about the police department. Mm-hmm. It's fine, I guess. I don't care. Market how you want to market. I just think it's absurd that someone's like, I'm going to start an ice cream company, and my marketing pitch is you're a racist and evil. <laughs> Buy my ice cream. But the reason they do that is because there's zero. Yeah, and Rifle Coffee, their thing is is that, like, we love guns. Buy our coffee. We support Kyle Rittenhouse. Buy our coffee. Like, I don't like the direction that capitalism is going at this point either. Opposition. So what's the downside? Mm -hmm. If they come out and they say, go riot and go in the streets, no conservative will do anything. Mm -hmm. They might complain about it. I mean, we did have the conservatives burning all their Nike gear when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. But for the most part, they don't. So conservatives are staying home, minding their own business, not organizing. And the major corporations, the big tech companies. Because the, the only time they organize, like the most recent that I could think of, like on a bigger scale was the anti-lockdowns measures. And that was like such a selfish endeavor. It's, it's crazy. No, their only threat is from the left. So they give the left whatever they want. Normally, if you were to tell people to go riot, which is a crime. I mean, I don't know. Rioting is a crime. Well, the word riot. That, that's you not just, necessarily a crime, right? You have to, you have, you have to massage the truth, Ian. Yes. Say, get more <laughs> confrontational. Yes, walk faster. Yeah, when people yeah. are burning down buildings, tell them to do more, be more active. Like, it's supposed to be illegal to incite violence, but to, right. to have Maxine Waters telling people <laughs> if we don't get a murder one charge, which he wasn't even charged with, or a, a conviction for murder one, which he wasn't charged with, mm-hmm. that we should, what she, what was her quote? Do you guys know offhand that we should push harder? That we should, we should get, we should get more active and get more confrontational. Get more confrontational. She's talking to rioters. That's, she's and they're still out there right now. So that they're, they're right, right now as they're marching around. I don't know exactly if it'll escalate or what the deal is. Mm-hmm. I gotta tell you, man. I kind of, I, 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 I wasn't really expecting a verdict this fast. I re- I, I, my video today was like, oh, they're preparing. Who knows when the verdict will be and my, 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 over yeah. at TimCast.com. And then I get a text and it's like, the verdict is coming in an hour. And I'm like, what? It's been a day. It's not even, I think it was 10 hours of deliberations. Yeah, it was so short. So when I, when I heard that it was that fast, I was like, it's either going to be guilty on all counts or not guilty on all counts. Mm-hmm. It is too soon for a hung jury. There's no way the mm-hmm. jurors went in and they were like, half of us are for guilty and half are for not guilty and we'll never change our minds. Okay, let's go home, hung jury. Too soon. So I was kind of like, maybe it'll be not guilty because they're bringing in the National Guard in downtown Minneapolis right now. They're, why would they be moving the National Guard in? I'm like, so it must be not guilty. Then I heard guilty, and I'm like, they're, they, they knew the verdict was guilty, and they're still bringing in the National Guard? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Ben Shapiro tweeted something amid all this. He said, the fact that, I'll paraphrase, the fact that we all knew that our cities would burn based on the outcome of this, of this trial, so it's, is, is an indictment of, of, of our country or society or something that affect. Yeah. yeah. It's absolutely true. Of where we are now. What, but it even goes into what happened recently with, you know, Georgia and just kind of all these policy measures that people are, are choosing sides and corporations are choosing sides and people are being kind of pressured again, where you're seeing this on every type of, and politics is infiltrating kind of every aspect of our lives now. And, and I don't think it's ever been that way and it shouldn't be that way. But, but did you see what happened with Coke? Mm-hmm. Like didn't, didn't yeah. Coca-Cola come out and actually say like Georgia's voter law, new voter law is racist. And then yes. conservatives were like, yeah, we're going to buy Pepsi. And they went, wait, wait, we they must find common. Back, we must yeah. find common ground. See, that's the thing. The conser- so the Republican party is, has much less people than the democratic party. It's shifted quite a bit in the last election. It started to, to invert. Democrats are joining the Republicans. Republicans are doing great, great recruitment. But you mostly have moderates and independents that mm-hmm. sometimes lean right. That's how Republicans end up winning. 
These people mm-hmm. don't do anything. They don't speak up. They don't say anything. They keep shopping. Coca-Cola could, you know, could Pepsi literally made a commercial where their protesters going around handing out Pepsis. And they, they see no re- repercussions for this. I mean, actually, the woke left got mad at them about that, so they had to, like, apologize. Yeah, because it was a having, dumb... Who was it? Kendall, Kendall Jenner? Kendall Jenner. Kendall, think, that yeah. it was? It was an incredibly dumb commercial to do. Like, if we just hand the cops a Coke or a Pepsi, then we can all get along. Like, honestly, like, my, my favorite thing would be is if, like, companies just no longer commented on politics or social issues, and they just sold products. But the thing is, though, is that they're always trying to sell their product in a deeper meaning, because if you have a deeper meaning associated with their products, you're more likely to buy their products. So it's an unfortunate byproduct of capitalism that they comment on our social and political issues. Although I would prefer much rather that because I know corporations don't give two shits which way Georgia votes or um, honestly, I don't think corporations think of anything beyond their bottom line. So it would be nice if they just didn't comment on these things. And I wonder if they didn't, if that would affect their bottom line at all. Like people like, oh, they never talk about these social issues. I'm not buying them anymore. I would just prefer that they don't. I just like and I wish that their Twitter accounts and like all these accounts that they have were only to push out discounts and deals. But for some reason, we're in this personified corporation vortex where corporations have political stances and feelings and all these things. And it's it's weird. It's weird. But I I would much prefer corporations to just not um, talk, including Ben and Jerry's. Um, ben and Jerry did, you know, come out and say that we need to abolish the police and eliminate I don't know if they said abolish police, but they did say that that we need to eliminate systemic racism. And again, like, I don't know how much clout uh, Ben and Jerry's is really affecting the social situation when we really just need average people on on our sides more than we do uh, corporations when it comes to pressuring politicians. But this is the weird vortex that we're living in where corporations have to take a political stance. Oh, yeah. No, is it Kylie? What I don't know. I don't know any of these people. I never watched that. <laughs> Handing out Pepsi's. It's it's this simple. Conservatives aren't organized. Mm-hmm. Moderates don't organize. Disaffected liberal types. Actually, there's a decent amount of disaffected liberals who are speaking up. Mm-hmm. But by nature, as, as a disaffected liberal, they're complaining about something. <laughs> so long as this group is just like loose knit and passively in agreement, but not actively going out, talking about things, standing up, going outside, then there's no downside. It's 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 the it's a. Uh, uh, do you guys know what Pascal's wager is? Negative. Mm-hmm. You you do. Yeah, you, I've you heard do. Of it. All right. Yeah. So it's basically, this dude was like, if I believe in God, and I die, and it's none of it was real or true, then what does it matter? Doesn't matter. But if I believe in God and I die and it is true, I get to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. He says, now if I don't believe in God, and it's not true, it doesn't matter. And if I don't believe in God and it is true, well then I go to hell. So your safest bet is to be you know, believe in God or be religious. It's not necessarily a fantastic argument, but I bring this up because we have what, what I call, I'll call it the critical, the critical theorists wager or the social justice <laughs> wager. If you are on the right and, uh, uh, you know, you stand up for your rights, you will likely be canceled or banned. Mm-hmm. If you are on the right and you do nothing, nothing happens. You, lo- you end up losing. The left ends up gaining ground. If you're on the left and you stand up for what you uh, and you don't stand up for what you believe in, the left still charges through, gets whatever they want. And if you're on the left and you stand up and scream, you will likely get whatever you want. So yeah, you're celebrated, right? Mm-hmm. So this 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 wager is very obvious. 
if you want to run weird it sounds like democracy works it sounds like to a certain extent when politicians feel enough public pressure from their peers and their voters uh that democracy is something that actually functions in this country to a certain extent um but let's not pretend that like leftists are always getting everything that they want because honestly if leftists were wanting to get everything that 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 we want um we would be much closer to socialism and bernie sanders probably would be uh president right now getting absolutely nothing done so um yeah it's very interesting that always 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 is that the the opposition to the right is both all-knowing and all-powerful while at the same time disorganized and uh dumb so um it's just unfortunate because even if like right right wingers never do organize and usually in the way that they do it's usually through militias which is a v much more violent expression of um democratic speech but um yeah they don't have too many like grassroots organizations that go around really mobilizing people into their positions and i think that's probably because they don't want to give them the tools of how to actually politically organize in a healthy structured manner um yeah, and uh, for the most part too, like, what are you gonna have them? the 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 only time that right wingers organize and mobilize is if they're far right, and they have to um, push for um, radical changes in moving towards authoritarianism, fascism, or they're uh, right wing militias who think that they are the vanguards to protecting American freedom. But really, what would conservatives have to mobilize on besides the fact that like they want to keep everything exactly the the way it is there's not really a lot to mobilize and organize and get people excited for except for like leave it leave it be you know on a business right now in this environment your best bet is just to feign leftism because there's no negative repercussions and and that's awful because you look at and you make a really good point because you know commerce and business and and services and products this, these were things that were supposed to unite us as Americans or unite us as people, right? When you're going to Ben and Jerry's, well, nowadays. Oh my God, how dark is that? That products and services were supposed to be the one uniting thing for Americans. Well, we all buy and use shit, so we're all Americans. There's no point in killing each other. That's that's the that was the root to our identity is our consumerism. That's wonderful. Yes, I love conservative philosophy. That's amazing. Days now you are asking, well. <laughs> What were you talking about in politics? But <laughs> because it is it is essentially true that consumerism is the binding uniting us all. I just think that's like objectively like depressing. <laughs> or you're like, I just want my double chocolate chip ice cream. You could sit down at a Ben and Jerry's and, and look over to a random stranger and be like, which one did you get? Right. <laughs> now it's like, who'd you vote for? To the cashier even. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's what it turns into. Oh, what I'm researching every single company that has spoken out and and what are their their stances now and it's awful and i and I, it's it's bad because as a somebody who works in business our product for example helps kids and that's it and it's like well is it that's not republican or democrat you're just trying to, to you're trying to create a product and you're trying to solve an issue and, and you're and there's a demand for it simple as that right. it's supposed to unite us yeah, we're yeah so you've made the point that politics has gotten into everything and this is something that troubles me as well this is not the way it's supposed to be and the fact that we have to do things like ask who did you vote for 
that creates suspicion. It weakens our society from the bottom up. I hate to see it. I, I look at what happened with... Well, because a lot of that has to deal with the fact that we have, like, factions and tribes within our political system who all have um, different agendas in achieving the goals that they see fit. Like, the Federalist Society wants to see a very... Um, narrow viewing of the const uh, of the constitution whereas it's supposed to be read as it was written um i'm not too familiar of other societies like the federal society who would take a more abstract approach to um the constitution but that's that's just one example so like if you're voting for somebody it does represent you know your ideals and things that you want to see in this country in the way that like if you voted for donald trump you wanted to see the continual um rejection of refugees and immigrants um which kind of speaks to the ultra nationalism and bit of xenophobia that you have inside of your character um not everybody voted for him just on those regards they also liked their tax cuts um, which speaks to another philosophy within that individual. So I do think it's like important. Um, it's it's unfortunate that everybody gets depressed and doesn't want to engage in politics when it does become something so prevalent in all of our lives. And we're a democratic society where, you know, we're supposed to be having these discussions because we have the freedom of speech in order to do so. And we are allowed to have some sort of say in the actions of our government. But ultimately we do give away the responsibility through our representatives to be like, I don't want to have to deal with this all the time. That's your job to do that. And, you know, in, 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 a, in a perfect society, we wouldn't have to pay attention to our representatives because they would always have our best interests in mind. But as we're going into this technological age and, you know, coming out of the Civil War from the 1800s, the Civil Rights Act in the 1900s into what we're dealing with now, um, the unity isn't being made easier by our technological advances through social media and the media in general with our television. So, um I don't know. We're looking at an increasingly more difficult, more tribalistic, more factioned America. And um, I do think it's unfortunate that corporations come out with their cringy takes on our po on our politics. Um, but there's a bigger bridge that Americans have to use to unite us all together, other than the fact that we all buy shit. There, there has to be a deeper connection between all of us to keep us from killing each other and to allow us to meet on middle grounds and social issues that are, um, you know, a lot of people hold biases towards. So it's it's yeah, we, we need a deeper connection to each other beyond the fact that we all buy shit here, you know, that we all live here and we all buy shit. There needs to be a deeper connection to all of us that will bridge this gap in not only making politics less toxic and, you know, more possible to discuss with others um but it'll, it'll actually move towards fixing our social issues and the things that we face as challenges so yeah the very weird conservative takes going on here with chauvin and the one thing i, I think the perspective of the left is that like all cops all the time are abusing their power and they don't understand like why arrests happen and they keep saying things like if if Derek Chauvin didn't put his knee on George Floyd's neck, then Floyd would be alive today. The prosecution actually this is actually debunked. Very Here we go. Here we go again. And I even covered this in the video with Tim Poole last time. Here we go. 
early on two things. The eight, what was it, eight minutes, 46 seconds was debunked. It's actually longer. It was nine mm -hmm. minutes and 29 seconds, I think it was. But the other thing that was debunked was that the knee was on Floyd's neck the whole time. It wasn't. In the video, you can actually see some in some periods, the knee moved off the neck. But the left was not debunked. That was not debunked. Um, and no, it's not. No. I don't know where he even thought that it was debunked. Or who said that that was debunked, or what evidence was that debunked that, other than the fact that they keep saying that there was no uh, sign of injury or bodily harm on George Floyd? Um, no, the the entire nine minutes, that knee does not move from George Floyd's neck. Uh, George Floyd does move his head around, repositioning himself, trying to get air. And Derek Chauvin does shift his weight a little bit to maintain his balance. But that knee stays in the exact same spot that it begins. Uh, I don't know where he's getting this information from. Uh, I mean, they 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 want to believe in these uh, tribalist. I don't I don't I don't I don't I honestly don't know why they they don't they don't investigate they don't read the stuff they just assume whatever the media says is true. I see him paired on social media. Yeah, but that's funny because you're you're regurgitating the same exact thing that's on the right wing media. You're you're guilty of the same exact thing that you're saying everybody else is guilty of. And then what you get is blind rage and support of the tribe, you know, the leftist tribe, no matter what. And we get blind resistance to whatever blind rage comes out. Like, that's exactly what Tim Pool and his ilk do is to reactionary react to anything of the left wing movements. So, um, yeah, and I'm pretty obvious here. Mine, my, I, my podcast is a reaction to their reactions. Um, merely as a counterbalance in a way that like, yes, there's uh, left-wing information out there. You can go seek it, but here's their refutation of it with missing context, missing information, and um, cherry-picked info to push forward a certain political agenda that agrees with conservatism. That's what I tried to present here with this podcast, and I'm not trying to hide that whatsoever. I'm not necessarily pushing any left-wing agendas. I may put in you know, my beliefs and what I think should be done in certain situations at most times, but this podcast solely exists in the fact that continually, continuously and almost endlessly, the right-wing media constantly decontextualizes information and disempowers individuals from actually politically engaging uh, fruitfully or... Um, you know, anything that would lead to a good outcome, honestly. So I was talking to a friend of mine and she said, uh, you know, I I don't even want to talk about what we were talking about, but she was like, I'm just going <laughs> to accept it at face value. And I was like, yeah, you're just going to believe the first thing they tell you, the government. And she's like, I just don't have the energy to investigate. And and that was that was it. I'll, I'll, put, I'll, I'll, do. I'll put it this way. And that's totally fair. I don't think like I don't think it's fair that everybody should have to participate in politics, but we're at a point in our world world history where exploitation and domination, oppression and freedom are not in well balance. Um, so the unfortunate thing is, is that to in order to get to a broader freedom for everybody and less oppression upon everyone is that everybody has to be engaged. And I think that's unfortunate because I don't think like we're living in a one time experience of life that people shouldn't have to spend their time on something that they feel is either toxic or exhausting. But we also can't trust the people that we entrust with these powers because these powers come with a big opportunity of exploitation. And so we have to be weary of that. So it's, it's uh, a shitty circumstance that we find ourselves in in 2021.
I would love to not have to watch political commentators and hope that they behave in good faith. I would want to hope to not have to watch politicians and hope that they also to act in good faith, but none of them seem to. So here we are. They say that George Floyd would uh, still be alive if Chauvin had put his knee on his back. George Floyd would still be alive if he didn't resist arrest. Or do drugs. Maybe. Yeah, or take a bunch of fentanyl, maybe. Maybe, well, maybe you would have killed a kid and got behind the wheel of a car and drove into some family walk. Yeah, but once you do that, then you hit, like, the grain of sand fallacy, is which, like, you know, at what point are we supposed to stop? He shouldn't have resisted arrest. Well, they shouldn't have called the cops on him or um, he shouldn't have committed a crime, or he shouldn't have been hanging out with his friend. He uh, shouldn't have drove that car specifically and parked across the street, and he should have left sooner. There's a great, like, at what point do we say then? If it's not Derek Chauvin's knee on his neck, then at what point exactly is it after that? It's endless at that point. You can point at any of the circumstances and say if he had done this or if they had done that, it wouldn't have been. But the buck should stop at the fact that he held his knee on his neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds. The buck should stop there, and that's how we come to a verdict at a trial. But that's not what they're interested in. Walking across the street. Yeah. He was doing drugs in the car. In it the was, it, and and the, the, the defense made an interesting point that we don't know how much fentanyl he took. The, the norfentanyl in his system was the metabolite of the fentanyl he had already taken. So mm-hmm. that means he had taken some, like, a long time before this incident occurred. So, Which is funny that Tim Pool says, well, it's, you know, with his metabolism and the levels in the toxicology report, that he took him a while ago. So that's funny to me because the defense, in their closing statement, said that he may have just taken him, like, just before getting pulled out of the car. Hmm. I wonder which one it is. I wonder if it actually even matters because the expert witnesses that testified on the stand says it does not. Look, I'm, I'm not happy about what happened. I don't like the idea that a cop is trying to arrest somebody and they die. The, the cops shouldn't be killing people and there should be a level of, of, of scrutiny. The issue, I suppose, is this will not reform the police department. It won't. I guess what the left is going for is if you can't beat them, burn them to the ground. Mm. If they can't get the police department abolished, then they're going to try and force every cop out. And right now... I got to say, the smartest position for the police is probably just to leave. What is this? I mean, it would be great for uh, all these police officers to resign so that then we do have to take, we don't have to abolish the police, is that we really have to just start something new based off the fact that we don't have any police officers anymore. And I think a big step would be is realigning like county sheriffs much more to the, like realigning police departments more to like county sheriffs. County sheriffs hold elections. Like, they're a lot more transparent than police departments are. So I have really no issue with cops uh, resigning. I, I do fear for the safety of a lot of people. Uh, criminals would feel incredibly um, more opportunistic with less cops around. So that's, that it would be a very dangerous interim period while we figure our shit out. But it's very unfortunate that cops would want to resign because they're afraid of facing accountability um, rather than resigning because uh, the system seems to be corrupted. Are they like, okay, this is high conspiracy, but is this like a corporate takeover? Like, do they want private police? The squad. You see that breaking story? You saw, you see that? The squad members buying all the private security? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> this is like turning into a third world country. Uh, you know, my family, my mom came from Guatemala and they have the private police force now overtakes the public police force because you don't really know, 
you know, whose side the, the cops are on. It's not meaning to laugh, but it's just you get to this point where it's you're seeing elements of that here in you know the greatest country in the world. And this is what separates us from these third world countries. I'd, I'd be willing to bet. <laughs> A bunch of our libertarian and anarchist friends who've been on the show are going to be cheering for the idea that the police will crumble from this mm. because they genuinely believe private policing is better. Oh I'm not God. one of those people. I'm, I'm fairly libertarian, little L, not big L, leaning slightly to the left. And I think the, the reason the police department works is that they're neutral arbiters. Right. They're not perfect. The individuals can be racists. The individuals can be bigoted. We, we, want to, we, want, we want to deal with that. We don't want those things. Lawsuits exist as well. And there's a challenge with poverty. When somebody who's poor gets pulled over and they can't afford to pay a ticket, then they go to jail. It creates a cycle. It's very, it's, it's problematic. But when you have two people fighting and a cop walks up, he's not there to be on anyone's side. He's like, this is what the law is. This is what you did. Go away or you're under arrest. Right. Well, in AOC and the squad, they all talk about equality and, you know, no classism and all. I mean, that wasn't a very coherent response to the question that she had. But like, um, yeah, we've been heading towards like, I don't know. The, the the corporations still need the government especially as a scapegoat to most of the problems that we see in this country because if we blame corporations and capitalism then we're a lot closer to changing the true power structure of this nation than you know if they convince us that the government is truly the problem rather than capitalism so um yeah uh you know we have been moving in that way just as the military has been moving more and more into private military mercenaries because there's a lot less uh, accountability to be had for them so um yeah it's it's uh yeah a lot less you you don't have to tell the public what the private what the private sector is usually up to so that's that may be why we're seeing more and more of our um I'm not sure if police is really taking that big of a dive where we're moving into private security that much. But um, as far as like the military goes, we have been removing resources away from sending our army troops in there and opting in for more Blackwater or mercenary groups to do our bidding for us. So, yeah, it's definitely a trajectory we could go into. And that's mainly because power does not want to be held accountable all this well that's exactly what they're trying to do when you talk about private police forces who is able to afford a private police force the, obviously people who are wealthy and have money but then yet your your policies and what you talk about all the time yeah and the fascinating thing is too is that police departments did originally start out as private police forces for like uh industrialists who would use them to break up uh or do some union busting or um like Pinkertons were some of the first ones ever uh, to come in this country. So it's it was either busting unions or um, private uh, or retrieving private property. Pinkertons are the ones who stayed pri within the private sector, while other uh, police departments were um, like brought into the fold of the state. They ended up pushing off the cost that would cost them to union bust, and it became taxpayers who would then. Uh, pay the police departments to bust unions so um, it's been a it's been a long road um, but they have their ties to uh, both union busting and protection of property and maybe we need to rethink what policing actually means in this country and build the new uh, law enforcement agency off of that and also think of how much transparency we actually want coming from these police departments 
time is about equality and, and no classes and, yeah. and all. I mean, it just it's completely it's complete hypocrisy this, to, 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 to eat. This is what will happen. They will defund the police. They will use the Chauvin case as as an example. And they're going to march and they're going to say, see. And then once the police are defunded, the rich people who don't care are going to hire, you know, G4S or Securitas or yeah. something. And they're going to have a couple guys in suits with glasses outside their house, and they're going to worry about anything. I don't know any um, police departments that have been, quote-unquote, defunded or abolished. I do remember last year that the city council in Minneapolis had voted to abolish their police. Um, but that never came through, and it's not going to happen whatsoever. Um, so I don't I don't know what Tim Pool is talking about, as if, like, this one verdict is actually going to get any of that because the the only path forward is to continue pressuring politicians and voting in politicians that are going to actually do that work on the city council level and also in the state legislature level. Um, so the only the only thing to continue is actually marching and protesting to ensure that politicians feel pressure pressure from the citizenry to uh, do the things that the citizens want to have done. Um I, he he makes it sound like the 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 left wing mob is this Thanos that can just snap its fingers and every police department is just going to disappear. I don't I don't maybe he's fear mongering. I don't I don't see any other purpose of saying that other than fear mongering because it's only going to go through pop, proper bureaucratic channels that a police department would be abolished. So you, we we talk, we talked about this last year during the riots. You know, private security would actually punch a cop on your behalf if you get a if you get a legit private security company. Mm-hmm. You're, these guys are getting paid, you know, low to mid six figures, depending on who the client is. Right. These guys, they're wearing suits, they got sunglasses, earpieces, legit security for high profile individuals. If a cop tried arresting, these security guards would put, shove a cop to the ground. They they, they they would absolutely assault an officer because they don't respect some guy getting thirty k a year in New York City or forty k mm. when they're getting four hundred k and they're working for a prince or a celebrity. They're like. Nah, this guy's got billions of dollars. He'll bail me out. I don't got to worry about it. Mm-hmm. My company will take care of me. So when the police are defunded and they don't respond to the calls of the poor people anymore, who suffers? Well, it's going to be the black community. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the Latino community. Right. Well, it's very funny, too, that he makes the argument that like it's a bad idea to defund the police when the police are already receiving very low salaries, which is like, how is like that sounds like a politician's fault that sounds like we we uh designated our money to go into their toys rather than their their pay so um i don't i don't think that's a very good criticism uh of how the left is behaving i don't think you know far leftists like myself a libertarian socialist would want to see private security i think that's a terrible idea um Mainly because then, like, there's not a lot of accountability, and you would have to create rules separately for them. Um, and it allows, yeah, it's it, it it creates a level of inequality that um, I can't see good outcomes coming out of that if we have just private securities. And in fact, I feel like gun sales would go up much higher if all we have is private security and no police. It's going to be the poor community in general. And the rich people are going to be sitting there in their infinity pools, not caring. Well, they just found that something, I want to say something like 80% of people. I think it would be interesting, though, too, if like if rich neighborhoods or rich people in general just have private security to protect themselves. I wonder if there is a much more um, bigger, like, say there's no police departments, no sheriffs, counties, if like people would be able to organize with their communities to come up with their own neighborhood watches. And I wonder what kind of 
outcomes we would have out of that. I'm sure there would be some horrendous cases and everything like that, but organizing a community around a neighborhood watch that is beholden and accountable to that community and is also invested in that community because they too live in that community, it's not that bad of an idea to you know have people basically policing themselves but of course we still need outside resources to ensure that like poverty isn't the main driving force to most of these crimes that we see in our major cities um the lack of opportunity of economic mobility being the um precursor and perpetuator of violent crimes so you know even if we fix police or policing in america that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to fix anything and everything um it, it's merely one facet of dangers that we see in this country all the time so um, if we're going to change one thing we're definitely going to need to change more things that are around it like our social issues aren't um these circles that are floating around each other it's a web you know everything is connected in in some interesting way and so when i look at society and i think of like what would i want to change i want to begin on the very fundamental level of education and i think every everybody needs to learn more about uh, politics if we're going to operate in a democratic society at a point to where we can't trust our representatives to do our best interests and it's more likely for people in positions of power to exploit us rather than actually serve us. So um, there's there's a lot of work to do. And it's not just um, beginning with abolishing police and that's it. Abolishing police and abolishing private sectors and private property. There is a lot of work to do. And um, it's pretty dumb to think that one thing will fix the other automatically who are surveyed these black people in these communities want more police presence right they don't want the police to go away well nope. it's the same thing with the hispanic community when you look at you know voter demographics i mean i come from a you know 40 miles outside of the city of chicago where you're seeing very high crime rates all the time nobody's talking about that crime hush hush right they talk about these kind of instances that happen uh every once in a while but the same thing happened in the Hispanic community, which is why a lot of people started voting more conservative because they come from countries where there is no law and order. They're leaving these places where they don't trust their law enforcement. Uh, we, again, have that public trust and and they're you know, people are chipping away at that. I, I love I love the idea of socialists and leftists condemning the state right now. When the state literally won its case, the state versus Derek Chauvin, the state is the winner. They're complaining about – I see these tweets. They're like, it was an agent of the state who, was, who committed a murder, and it's good to see – they should not be allowed to do that. And I'm like, it's the state who also won from the guy to the bus. Also, if you're a socialist and you want socialized everything, yeah. then shouldn't you be happy with a socialized law enforcement system well apparently not the the great part of it is local cops like i was in chile for a while yeah but again like richard wolf said is that like socialism isn't just when the government does things the police department and its lack of transparency and also lack of democratic principles such as electing the police chief or electing any members of a police department that's antithetical to what socialists believe so um, you have to have much more democracy and transparency and power being held accountable. That's more socialist. Uh, you know, our taxes paying for stuff isn't the sole socialist thing. And I hate that that's what socialism is conflated to. And 
it's national cops only in that country. Mm. So if you have a, a problem, a dog is barking or bites someone on the corner, you've got feds there, like with brown out uniforms on, ready to take you to federal prison mm. and lock. Like it's federal all the way down, mm. and it's terrifying that if yeah. you jaywalk or commit some minor crime, the feds are on you down there. And that's like how it is in most of the world. I think I'm not. I'm oh. not much of a legal expert. No, you're absolutely right. In in places like Central America, you have. You know, armed military police, M16s on the street corner and in parks. I mean, that's normal to that's, those people. That's one thing that a lot of people are saying. And there's still crime. Yeah. There, there are people tweeting, yeah. it took us too long so to get isn't this that, verdict. Isn't that interesting how the presence of law enforcement isn't... Uh, isn't going to bring down crime rates? Like, you just, you just really shot yourself in your foot with your own argument. Like having law enforcement presence isn't going to naturally decline uh, crime rates. You have to have other factors in there, such as economic mobility, opportunities for people, good communal support. There's other things that go into the factors of reducing crime. Going, doing a war on crime is not going to reduce crime. It's only going. Violence begets violence. That's, I. It's like simple philosophy 101 on that one. So, um, yeah, I think I think we've hit the peak of conservative thought here and we're going to have to end this podcast since it's two hours long. Um, But, yeah, that's that was just a little taste of where the right wing narrative is going in the in these regards is that they found Chauvin guilty because they were afraid of the city's burning down. Uh, The leftists will never be satisfied, no matter how many cops we uh, throw under the bus. And the only thing that they're after is the total dissolution and destruction of this country. So that's what we learned from the George Floyd take uh, from from everybody's takes on George Floyd's murder all the way up to Derek Chauvin's trial. This is what we have learned being a conservative. So cool. Thanks for joining me on Tox News. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at ToxinPod, T-O-X-N-P-O-D. And uh, like if you like, dislike if you don't, rate, review comment below share this with a boomer share it with a tim pool fan a ben shapiro fan a tucker carlson fan a sean hannity fan and if you uh have any recommendations of videos that you want me to get into send them my way and um i'll try to get them on this show here at some point um and yeah that's 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 what we've learned isn't it that conservatives are here to conserve and downright oppose anything that may be too hard r radical all right Bada boom, bada bing. That's that's it. Um, I'm going to go celebrate the accountability of authority, and uh, I hope you enjoy your day. Bye.